Hey, Sarah. Yes, Alex? When's the last time you updated your dating profile? You're supposed to do that? Yeah, yeah I do mine at least once a day, whether it needs it or not. <laughs> Welcome to Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. I'm Sarah. I'm queer. I'm non-monogamous. I write stuff. I therapize people. I avoid dating apps and then complain about never meeting anyone. And I'm her husband, Alex. I have a master's in communication, so I microanalyze every corner of my own and other people's online dating profiles. And I'm Jessica here producing, resident monogamous for the podcast. And you know, guys, I can remember a time not too long ago when you thought that looking over my shoulder and swiping through my Tinder matches was like the best entertainment in the world. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Now you know. Now I know. (laughs) And today we're welcoming a guest to the podcast to help us understand our online dating angst, pull back the curtain on how the dating apps work or don't work for poly people, and hopefully give us some pointers on improving our experiences and maybe my attitude. (laughs) (laughs) Ricky Thompson is a researcher, educator, consultant, and public speaker. She's also an associate professor of digital rhetoric and writing studies at University of Washington, Tacoma. For the past two decades, she's been researching communication and technology to understand how some people find belonging and connection through digital technologies, while others experience marginalization and exclusion in online environments. For the past five years, she's been researching online dating and swiping culture to understand the complexities of communication and digital literacies in the modern day search for love, sex, and connection. As a specialist in language, gender, and sexuality studies, a good deal of her work focuses on LGBTQ plus issues and the experiences of people who practice ethical, consensual non-monogamy and those who identify outside of traditional binary gender categories. Hi, Ricky. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for you to be here. I know we all have so many questions for you, um, but I feel like a lot of them could just be summarized, at least on my end, with help. Me. <laughs> yeah. Well, lucky for you, I do one-on-one coaching if you need help, too. So there you That's go. That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. That's such a good idea. All right. We'll get we're, into that, We're going to try and get it for free. Yeah, exactly. That's why, that's why we started this podcast. Ricky. I will give a discount code at the end of the episode for people right. who are listeners to Mistakes Were Made. So um, the, you've, you've studied this stuff a lot in an academic context, but um, we were talking about before we started recording that you also have personal experience that you're drawing on as well, right? Can you, oh, can yes. you say a little bit about that? You're not just a researcher. Yes, I do not just sit and watch from outside and see the polyfolk as if they are animals to be observed. Um, I also am a polyfolk. Um, I'm also queer, um, and I've been... Online dating since 2015, uh, when I, before I started this research, but truly I was already starting the research, I just didn't know it. Um, I did not know I was non-monogamous at the time. I actually was introduced to Polly through somebody I was dating that I met on one of the apps, Um, which will bring me to one of the things we can talk about later about all the newbies out there. So I had been recently single for probably a year or so. And um, I was talking with a friend of mine about how do people who are sexually non-normative in any way, like 
people into kink, people who are swingers, people who are poly. How do they find each other nowadays? I knew um, within the queer community, flagging has been a thing for a long time. There's lots of ways. There's niche apps that are especially for lesbians or for gay men. So I thought, okay, but what about the other people out there um, who have different sexual practices. And so, of course, being a researcher, I started doing research. And I found this article that was like, well, there's an app for everything, right? And it went through the list of like every kind of sexually non-normative app, like these kink ones. Mm -hmm. um, Ashley Madison was on there at the time for mm -hmm. the cheaters. Um, and then there was one called Thrinder for threesomes and moresomes. And I thought, Really, Thrinder, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> so I thought, I want to see how this works. And I was also really curious what people put on profiles. I'd never been on a dating app. And I'm thinking, as a sexually forward, sex positive kind of app, are people going to have just all nude photos? Are they going to have kinky photos? Is it going to be just completely sexual? Do I need to prove I'm over 18? You know, I didn't know. So I decide to go in, I download the app. And of course, now I have to set up a profile to actually see how the app works. So I'm like, okay, I've never set up a profile. So I just put in like one, one photo and like a little line. And then I start kind of swiping through and I was like, oh, there's lots of very vanilla kind of commentary, right? Very non-sexual, like, oh, I'm looking for a companionship or I'm looking for I'm looking for a triad. And then there's people who are just looking for swing partners. And then there was also plenty of photos and stuff that were, and, and bio information that was also very explicit, but not everybody. So now I started kind of thinking, well, there's, this looks like some pretty cool people on here. Maybe I'll update my app. So I updated my profile a little bit more like you, Alex, uh -huh. every day. Um, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And, um, and then I matched with a couple people and I started talking to them. And so I start talking to this guy and he tells me he's polyamorous. And I'm like, well, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, it was a two hour conversation mm -hmm. while I was driving through California, learning everything there is to know from this poly person who I've not met in person yet, but I've become fascinated by. Um, and I eventually did end up in a long distance relationship for years with this person. But I came home and started reading and I you know, reached out to a friend and she's like, hey, have you read The Ethical Slut? I think you need to. Have you read Opening Up? Here's another one for you. Um, more than two. And I started researching. And as I was reading, I was like, oh, my God, this makes so much more sense to me. And I did not realize I just didn't realize I was so enculturated into monogamy my whole life that this was an option. And so I became very intentionally dating that way. And now I was on Thrinder, which, by the way, is now called Field. Because oh, okay, that's, those are the or that's the origin yeah. of Field. Yeah, they got sued by Tinder for uh -huh. name infringement, copyright stuff. That. Yeah, so, um, so I was one of the early birds on Field back when it was Thrinder. And um, eventually then I got on some other apps and I started kind of exploring. And then I was, I was dating somebody and um, my metamor, we were looking at my metamors profiles together, the three of us at the kitchen table. Little did I know I was actually kitchen table Polly. I hadn't quite figured that <laughs> out yet sure. either. <laughs> um, and as I was helping her with her profile, she's like, do you do research on this? Cause like I would pay you for this kind of help. Mm. And I thought, why am I not researching this? I study online identity. I study how people find connection through discussion boards, through blogs, through online spaces. I study 
belonging. Like it all made sense. I study visual rhetoric. So there I was. Oh, I guess I have a new research project. And so that's how I got into this. And it's kind of funny that it, I, I'm a good example of somebody who was introduced to Polly through the dating apps. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up studying them. So I'm, I'm immersed. Um, I'm very immersed. Um, I took a hiatus from dating on the apps for a few years while I was collecting data for my book project. Interesting. Because I realized I could not separate my work brain from my you know, my personal brain. Uh -huh. um, I worried that people would think that I was trying to recruit them when I wasn't. Um, or once I was talking to them, I now wanted to recruit them because their profile and their messaging was so fascinating. And I thought, nope, I can't do that either. Like, so, and then I was also interviewing people. I interviewed over a hundred people over a few years. And all of a sudden I was getting people, I would interview somebody and they would send me other people. And now my whole schedule was packed. My Google calendar looked like a poly dating calendar, but it was all interviews. Ugh. So I just realized at that point, like my job was one of my other partners at the time. And I had no space outside of, um, the, the one relationship that had continued. Um, I'd had a few, I was dating a few people at the beginning and then, and then, oh, then the pandemic happened. We also had that, right? So um, there was a lot of uh, complexity. But I have returned to the dating apps this year now that I am not collecting any more data and I'm finishing writing my book. So it's been interesting to also return after being off the apps for a few years yeah. and only seeing them from the perspective of my participants. Um, sometimes I would go back into an app and just kind of see how it was working based on something they'd said that I didn't realize was like a change in the functionality of an app. But in general, I wasn't feeling that sense of what it's like to be out there online dating as a poly person for a while. And so it was a good uh, re-entry to be reminded mm -hmm. of all the things. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. So just backing up for a moment, I guess a question I have is, is it safe to say that you're probably one of the experts on polyamorous online dating and trends? I'm realizing this is true. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's kind of funny is when I started this research, I was just like looking at online dating in general. And as I've done more and more stuff, I've realized there's not a lot of people who are doing work around non-monogamy um, and definitely not around non-monogamy and online dating. Um, most of Most of the kind of I've been contacted for interviews more often around my expertise around poly online dating and trends around uh, poly relationship changes. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a funny thing to realize when I look around, I'm like, oh, there isn't a lot of research on this yet. There is somebody who does a lot around poly community. There are a number of people who are looking at communication around non-monogamy or around poly specifically um, or around mental health, but I haven't seen many people, very little, I, very, very little. It seems to me like this is an example of just like research and academia, like struggling to keep pace with a trend. So mm -hmm. uh, maybe a year and a half ago, I wrote an article about like the trends in non-monogamy mm -hmm. increases in the practice and especially in this region. Mm -hmm. And it felt like there was so little just like numbers research to draw yeah. on. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the trends are heading up and people are just like really scrambling to try and keep up with that. Yeah, I wrote an article uh, last year. It was in the conversation and it was defining what is a polycule. And I, I was contacted by the editor because I'd already written a piece about 
poly in the pandemic, dating what we can learn from poly people during the pandemic, because poly people had already figured out um, how to navigate really like conversations around STIs and networks of people. Consent. And, and consent, yes, and talking about difficult stuff. So um, when the pandemic hit, one of the things I was recognizing because I went back and I actually followed 30 people during the pandemic mm. as well, thinking, oh, that, I'll do a pandemic dating article. And it became really clear to me for people who were ethically non-monogamous, they were already thinking about, okay, this is my polycule. So I can't see this person until we're done quarantining because they're immune compromised or we have to keep this network closed because of lockdowns and all these other things. So um, people who are monogamous had never really thought about this in the way that I think poly people had already been. Um, yeah. I had a number of, I, a, a particular participant in my study sent me his polycule map and how they had revised it based on households to deal with COVID pods. And it was a diagram that they already had put together just to try to manage STI testing amongst the group because some people were fluid bonded in the polycule and I went oh my god like this is so obvious so what can we learn from you know poly people um, around managing uh, networks of people around disease right and and what we already know and um, I forget how I got there <laughs> well I, I have more questions but I feel like I've been hogging you a little bit Alex, where did where well, did you want to go? Okay, two questions. One, what is the name of your book that you've been talking about? Well, uh, so can... it's it's loosely titled because it's not done yet. Oh, okay, um, it's not done. So okay. it's it's and it's <laughs> right now it's going to be an it's going to be an academic book, but it's like design and online dating, mm -hmm. like design discourse normativity and post digital intimacies. That's the title right now. And of course, Sexy. there will there'll be a colon. There yeah. will be a colon. It's yeah. an academic title. Uh -huh. um, so I'm okay. I'm finishing but that up. We're right gonna now. put intimacy is really big. On yeah. Right? Oh, I like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. I like that. Okay. Yeah. And, and maybe like some heart eye emojis, uh -huh. and like flame emojis. Yeah. Oh, I like it. I like it. And um, <laughs> I think the other thing that's pretty important to that book is that normativities is what ended up becoming the center. So there's a chapter on uh, gender identity for people who are non conforming mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, non-binary, et cetera. There's a chapter on non-monogamous daters. And then there's a chapter on people I suggest are in the sexual borderlands, which is on that Kinsey scale, um, right? You're either heterosexual or homosexual or somewhere in the middle. And so the whole everybody in the middle, right, that's not just lesbian, gay, but anybody who's bisexual, pansexual, heteroflexible, monogamish, like all these categories. I had about 47 people out of 115 that identified somewhere in that center. I, I am part of that center as well, by the way, again, participant observer here. Um, and so all of those groups deal with very specific things around online dating. And that's really where my book ended up mm -hmm. going was what does that mean if you're outside of the dominant mainstream you know, when you're yeah. out there. Which you're saying nearly half of the people were. Yeah, at least yeah. for, um, I, it's, well, I had, um, there was 11 people who were uh, gender nonconforming, so 10%, right, a little, or 9%. And then uh, I think it was 38, I got to remember my numbers, but it's around 38 to 40 were non-monogamous or had been at some point. Mm -hmm. So which seemed it was almost half, but I know part of that is I did snowball methodology where people sent me people. So once I started 
getting more people in the non-monogamy community, I was like, oh, no, I really want to get more representation here because it's an underrepresented area. So I don't know that that's a actual um, reflection, but there's been a lot of studies recently about the rise of non-monogamy and younger people especially, like the percentage is much higher. And I put that in one of my articles that I wrote for the conversation, and there was a whole Reddit discussion about whether or not the the gov survey that I cited was being accurate and people were like parsing whether or not it's an overinflation. It was something like 30% of millennials or younger say they have a preference for mm-hmm. non-monogamous relationship styles. And Okay, so speaking of Reddit discussions yep. and your research yep. and the results of that research, there are tons of people on Reddit forums related to non-monogamy asking for feedback on their dating profiles. And everybody wants to know, how do I write a good, how do I construct a good dating mm-hmm. profile? Um, especially, I think, people who are new to it. So what yeah. is your advice that you give? Let's I'll, like, I'll give a few nuggets. picking this apart. I'll give a few nuggets, and I'll also say I'm planning to do some workshops around this, mm-hmm. and, um, and obviously people can reach out if they have more specific things. I'd say the first thing is you have to have good pictures. Mm-hmm. I mean, pictures are, have, the way that the apps have been set up now on our phones, they take up the majority of the real estate on your phone. They are the first thing people look at. Um, they are the thing that will make people swipe no before they even read the profile. So um, and I, when I say good pictures, what I mean is they should be clear if they're super blurry, if they look like it was something you photocopied from your 1975 yearbook. It's a problem. <laughs> they um, should be high quality. They should be recent. They should be recent. Um, if you're a person who has a lot of different looks, especially people who are queer who may like be uh, feminine presenting one day and masculine presenting another day, show both of those looks so people get a sense of who you are. Um, give people a sense of who you are in your life in context. So if all your images are selfies in your car, I have no context for what who you are in your daily life. Um, If you are a hiker, include a hiking picture out in the woods. Include a full body shot at some place so people get a sense of you from head to toe. Um, People seem to be very suspicious when it's only headshots that you're hiding something. Um, So whether you are or not, it's just kind of, you're giving a range of images. And then also be aware of like not having all obstructed images. So sunglasses, hats, you know, goggles. Sure, if you're a skier, one picture with your goggles and your ski makes sense, but it shouldn't be your opening picture and it definitely shouldn't be the majority of your pictures. So that's one of the things I'd say about images. I also hear in there, like, tell a little bit of a story yes. about your life with the photos that you yes. include because that, like, allows people to kind of, like, picture you as a whole yeah. interesting person, mm-hmm. not just, like, an assemblage of physical characteristics. Yeah, correct. And I would say it's it's – you're – creating a a story of who you are, but you're also, people are trying to imagine themselves in your, being in your life with you somehow. Like, Mm. do I want to be hanging out in the places that you're hanging out? So if you spend all your days at the local pub and those are all your pictures, I might be like, yeah, I kind of want to go for a walk every now and then, right? So there is something about kind of creating a narrative. I also like to think about your pictures as evidence for what you're saying, So what is in your bio, you can see your images as a way to kind of reflect who you're saying you are in a different way. Um, 
You can also add captions on some of the apps to your images, um, which can be fun um, and it can be helpful to people, especially if you're trying to like give them extra information about something that seems like an odd photo. Um, the other thing is your bio. Um, depending on the app you're on, depends on how much space you have, right? Mm -hmm. If you're on Tinder, very limited bio. If you're on OkCupid, you can write a novella, for example. So, and, and then many people do. Yes, they do. I mean, I have to say, as someone who uh, also has been a professional writer and I was a columnist with a very strict word count mm -hmm. for many, many years, what is your advice for people on like length? If you have all the space in the world, should you take it? No, you should not take it. <laughs> and I will say, um, I've also had to control myself because I also am a writer and I tend to write too much. Um, I tell people to be really mindful of the fact that once it starts to feel too long, it probably is. And I think the hard part is people don't always know that about their own profile. So I encourage you to share it with somebody. If you're poly, share it with another partner and ask them. Um, what I found really interesting is people who are poly, their other partners often give them the best advice. And they say, get rid of that picture. There's a better picture of you. Mm -hmm. You know, um, why didn't you say you're adventurous? You're totally adventurous. Like that's part of who you are. And um, not too long when it asks, like if you use the prompt, what are your favorite books? Don't list 50 books. The rule of threes. The, I think of like these yes. really standard writing uh, tips that mm -hmm. you probably give your students. It's like yeah. curiosity gap. Right. You don't want to write too much yeah. because you want people to still have things they want to know about you. And if you're giving examples, you only ever need three. And I would even say, I don't think it's a great idea to give ex explicit examples of which books and which music. I think it's better to say, you know... I love everything from jazz to country, but I don't really like metal, for example. Because once you start naming things, people mm -hmm. start going, oh, I hate that person, or they've been canceled. They're, I'm not talking to them. Like, it's a weird thing that just, it mm -hmm. gets too specific. and the you swift can, divide. Yes. And it's well, real. We'll do an okay, entire episode okay, about so it. <laughs> I, would tell, I would tell people, say, like, I'm into, I'm into this kind of stuff. What are you into? Ask people questions in your profile so they have a way to start a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. This brings up a question, though, for me about, like, so we're both, like, communication people, and mm -hmm. we always think about, like, uh, service to your audience, right? Yeah. Which is probably good advice in this. Like, right. don't just think about yourself and how your profile makes you feel, but mm -hmm. think about, like, who is the audience mm -hmm. out there? Uh, who's going to be reading it. But like, how do you balance that with being authentic, right? Because you're not trying to write a profile that is good. I feel like when I first went on dating apps, I was kind of trying to be like, how can I be good for everybody? Right. How can I like write the app that's going to please everyone to give me the most potential choice? But you're not really trying to please everybody. You're trying to please the people who would be the best for you. Right. So for example, if you are a writer and an, uh, you read a lot, it makes sense that you might have a longer profile because guess what? One way to weed out people who aren't literary or don't like to read and don't like to talk about books is by having a profile that's longer than they want to read. As a side note, right? right? There's kind of a, a, a way to think about it in that way. Um, or if I love metal right? and I want to go to three metal shows a week, yeah. then, you know, and you say you don't like metal, yeah. that's, that's great, Ricky. We're not, yeah. we're not going out, you know? I want you to know that about <laughs> me, right? Like I want, um, I want, when you think about what you're putting out there, think about putting out there 
what it is you like to do and what you'd like to do with other people. So being able to say something in your profile and how do you make it interesting, right? There's lots of advice out there about prompts. Like you can say things like, you know, my mom describes me this way and my friend describes me this way, or that could be an interesting opening. But I think at the core is to kind of recognize here's, here's who I am. Here's what I'm looking for. Um, here's how I like to spend my time, right? Here's some quirky things about me. Um, who are you? I'd like, like, let's get to know each other. I think people can, I don't find myself to be especially creative and witty in a fun way on profiles, but when I see them in other people's profiles, I love them. And then I wish I was more like that. And I, oh, I, mm. you know, um, I may be a writer, but I don't think I've seen profiles. I think just blow mine out of the water in a heartbeat. And I have a question about a kind of, um, controversial, weeding out of folks on mm -hmm. dating apps and I wonder if it's come up for you and that's naming your politics mm -hmm. so one of the first experiences I think I had on dating apps was not to be forward facing with my more radical politics mm -hmm. and I ended up in conversation with and sometimes on dates with people who had like really profoundly different yeah. political values than I did um and so I changed that pretty early on. Yeah. Uh, and I'm wondering, like, how have you encountered that? Do you notice trends in that? What yes. advice do you have around that? That became far more noticeable during the pandemic as people's politics became very much tied to the pandemic and like masking and vaccines. Um, also, it started showing up around the Trump election. Mm -hmm. uh, where people really started writing things like, oh, if you voted for Trump, you know, swipe left or, you know, no MAGA people, especially people on the left. And then same, there wasn't as much coming from the right. I wasn't seeing it, it the, the same extreme. But definitely what I noticed in interviewing people is there were lots of people who said things like, you know, I may agree with your politics, but if you write in your profile, if you did this swipe left, I'm going to swipe left on you also. I don't want to go out with you because I think you're closed-minded. Hmm. So there was a lot of people who, you, who and, and I don't think it was just about the politics. What it was is you're using a negative, you're starting with a negative. If you're this kind of person, I don't want to deal with you. Versus um, if you were to say something in your app that said, I love to talk about politics, I lean left. If we're not going to agree we may end up, you know, like saying something more like, I like to talk about politics. It matters to me. Um, and I'm interested in, the, you know, this is my politics. You're more likely to have somebody go, oh, great, cool. I'm on the same page. Let's do it. Or a person who's on the opposite side be like, oh, yeah, I don't want to deal with that person because I don't want to talk about politics all the time. For example, like earlier on, I might have said something like no Trumpers. Right. Now I'm more likely to say something like anti-capitalist, like feminist Mm -hmm. revolutionary babe here, peace sign. Yeah, that's more likely to get people. It's, it's, I guess the other thing I would say, and this goes to Alex, your question earlier, like what makes for a good profile? Being positive instead of, we all have our grumpy mm -hmm. sides and there's parts of us that are going to show up once we're in relationship. But you don't need to start with, I'm an angry, grumpy person because nobody wants to meet up with it. Like there is something about you are putting your best foot forward. And I, and we all know that. Like, so this question of authenticity, it's just like, I'd say it's like a job app. Like you're still putting, you're still putting your best foot forward. We all know that we're all doing that. And we all know we're going to find out each other's stuff mm -hmm. as we get to know each other. Yeah. 
Okay, so what about drilling down on like the poly specific oh, yeah, stuff? That was, that, um, like, I guess one one question is, how much lingo do people put in? Um, I should think, people put in? Yeah, I think that's actually a great question. It's funny when uh, you were just talking about weeding out um, around politics. I was going to say the other place where I see people doing weeding out is around how people talk about poly yeah. on their bios. As more the trend of poly becoming more mainstream, and it truly is, we're seeing that. Um, we're seeing that at least in a number of Western societies. We're seeing it in the UK, we're seeing it here, we're seeing it in Australia. Um, those are three countries where I definitely am seeing it more in the media as well. And as that becomes more mainstream, what we have is more newbies, mm -hmm. right? People who are like, oh, maybe I'm open to this. So one of the things is, how do you write about it in your profile? I am definitely of the opinion that you should be pretty explicit up front in your profile about what's your relationship style, partly because poly people are already trying to manage saturation, right? We don't want to hit poly saturation, but we're, we're technically lifelong daters, right? Mm -hmm. Although we may take breaks and that sort of thing. But as people who are lifelong daters, we're always trying to manage and nobody wants to waste their own time or other people's time. And so I think if you know, for example, you prefer a hierarchical style um, and somebody who's solo poly doesn't want to be in a relationship with someone who's hierarchical, why put that out front that helps you that helps mm -hmm. you make decisions right um i consider myself more a relationship anarchist or really i like relationship autonomist i heard that on another mm. podcast oh, to be clear no. i didn't make it up but That's, i love that term yeah we're gonna have you back to talk about all that yeah stuff. Mm -hmm. we've been meaning to do a, yeah. what does relationship anarchy even mean yeah so, anyway, because autonomy right is more yeah. it's not about the metaphors of blowing things up which i think is not very positive for relationships but autonomy right is about agency and trying to understand that everybody's kind good of good for politics bad for relationships yeah anyway. exactly <laughs> Blowing yeah. things up can have well. Well, yeah, you did say you're a revolutionary piece, <laughs> so maybe you like to be an anarchist. Yeah. But I think this is where I'm a little more, maybe a little more moderate about things. And I think, as a metaphor person, like I, I really want, and I'm a linguist, right? The, the words matter. Um, but I think it also creates a good conversation starter. It says in my profile, like, and by the way, I prefer this term. So I've actually had people like that comment on my OKCupid okay mm -hmm. to go, oh, I've been thinking about this term a lot, right? So it's a good conversation starter. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is you want to know what you're looking for mm -hmm. in non-monogamy and you want to be able to clearly communicate that to people. Yep. But I also heard you say there's a lot of new folks out there. So there's some yeah. tension between well, how... And I feel like in profiles where, especially like on field, where people mm -hmm. use a lot of lingo about half the time they have a lot of experience and are real, being really precise about what they want. Yeah. And then the other half the time there are people who are really new to it who are signaling yeah. who are trying to signal that they right. belong. Right. And then you're like, I don't understand what you and mean because you don't understand what you mean. And maybe. there's a lot who are just saying like, I'm new to this, right? right. Like I'm Which new, great, I'm new yeah. to this and I'm trying it out. Um, or they're using the labels like field lets you hit those label buttons, right? For poly couples, singles, like, there's, you know, those label identifiers. Um, and then there's, what did you write in your profile? Like I had somebody recently say to me, if they write that they are ethically non-monogamous versus poly, I swipe no on them because I think they're new. 
But that might not be the case. They may be somebody who, in my opinion, they could be somebody, and I definitely have a lot of these in my research, who say that they kind of, they swing between swinging and poly. Like it depends on their situation or it depends on people. So I think on the other hand, I would also say is we also do not have stable definitions within, like, do you say consensual non-monogamy? Do you write ENM? Do you write CNM? As a linguist, and mm-hmm. Jessica could probably weigh on in on this because I think you introduced me to the term of pejoration, mm-hmm. the idea that when something is already marginalized an mm-hmm. identity, any term that is used to describe it will eventually go through the process yeah. of becoming pejorative, right. and then you'll come up with another term and it'll go through that process right. again. And I feel like you can watch that happen with non-monogamy. I call myself non-monogamous because it feels like the broadest, me too. Most just like specifically descriptive term. That's exactly it's both broad and specific in this yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and I think when we're talking about that tension between signaling that you have some experience or you know what you're looking for and you're communicating that, and just barraging people with terms yeah. that kind of feel intimidating and also confusing. I don't know. It's yeah. hard. It's hard well, to know. Can I ask? Since you're here, mm-hmm. like, what? How do you define those terms? Um. Well, I will say that ethical non-monogamy and consensual non-monogamy is getting used by people who are swinging and poly. Um, But people who are poly and not swinging are very specific about saying they're poly and that they're not swinging. And they often will say, I'm poly or polyamorous. Mm -hmm. Um, Which would mean? There's definitely, I will say, swinging often gets marginalized by a lot of people in the poly community as somehow it's more deviant and not as cool because it's not emotional. And I've, I've definitely had that. I've heard that in interview data where, um, where a lot of people who are swinging don't care one way or another. They're, they're more just, they're using a different, they'll talk about the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. They'll Mm -hmm. say, I'm, we're in the lifestyle. Um, they'll more often say they're in the lifestyle than swinging and you would define swinging as people who are in a couple having sex with other people, either together or perhaps like or apart or apart. But the key for the key difference with swinging is that with swinging, it's a hierarchical couple, and the whole no falling in love is usually part of that rule. That emotional, it's emotionally exclusive between those two people. Everybody else is you can. Although there's lots of swingers who have very close emotional relationships or close network swinging mm-hmm. networks, um, but the whole there's definitely a hierarchy do that you, protects the couple. Go do ahead. you think that's like a like a a classed or like educational level definition? Because I remember at the end of last season we did looked into a bunch of research mm-hmm. and we were like finding that there's not very much that you've probably seen. I think it's like the. Kinsey Institute mm-hmm. research um, around that there's not much variation between the like rates of polyamory and non-monogamy or whatever you call it, like geographically mm-hmm. and between political orientation. Mm-hmm. And what I drew from that was that there are a lot of people in the middle of the country and more conservative places who are probably swinging, mm-hmm. right? Um, but maybe they're like actually kind of doing similar things to the people on the coast and they're calling it different stuff and I they're treating it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's maybe less about what they're doing and more about what they're calling it because of, like, culture and stuff. And access points, like where people meet and how they meet. Mm -hmm. I think um, 
if we think about the Pacific Northwest as kind of grounds, ground zero for a lot of the poly community, there's poly community and there's not as much community um, in parts of the Midwest, for example. So how do other people who are poly um, and or swinging, often they're finding each other through FetLife munches or through sex clubs, which still tend to be very on the down low. Um, and I think I, I would say that in many ways, a hierarchical poly has very has a lot of similarities um, to swinging in that it's still about maintaining that primary partnerships kind of priority, mm-hmm. right? But there's lots of people who would say that they're hierarchical poly who may have other relationships that may not necessarily be as sexually focused or not focused in kind of the friends with benefits kind of like, and also more often poly hierarchical couples are likely to be dating separately, not just going together. There's something, I mean, because swinging is not wife swapping always necessarily, or as it used to be called, right? Like it's, it goes both ways, but there's definitely some differences, I think, around it's mostly, I think, about how people are finding each other, truly. I think that's fascinating, and I am really grateful to mm-hmm. be able to take a moment to bust this apart, because it is something that has kind of bothered me for a mm-hmm. long time. The mm-hmm. terminology feels um, confusing, and not even though there's a lot of it, like somehow not actually satisfyingly yeah. descriptive mm-hmm. or clear. Um, and especially that differentiation between polyamory and swinging Mm non-monogamy, consensual non-monogamy, which does not actually feel like the bright line that people sometimes describe it as. Mm -hmm. And just anecdotally in my own life and with folks that I date, something more along the lines of hierarchical polyamory sounds more descriptive of what most people I know who are married or have Mm -hmm. young families are practicing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I'm feeling a little personally defensive and have in the past with being told that it's not polyamory, Mm. you know, because there's like this kind of centering of the couple in a hierarchical way. But most of the people that we know, they do have like loving relationships that go on for long periods of time. And there isn't a restriction against emotions. Right. Um, Those are caring relationships and they're not necessarily sex forward relationships. And they're not totally defined by sex or, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, another difference maybe is like how, present like the patriarchy is right like Mm -hmm. just the idea of like wife swapping or like that kind of terminology would probably never show up like or would show up differently in like this context well and another thing i think that fits with kind of what are the challenges for different people and i think sarah you i know you were saying you had kind of a question earlier about how does this work for different groups of people in terms of online dating and i would say one of the things that is very clear around for men that identify as bisexual, pansexual, in the swinger community, they're much more in the closet about that because the swinger community or the lifestyle tends to still be much more, there's there's the perception that like every woman in the lifestyle is bi, but men are not. Mm. And that's though that and that's not true. But what I've discovered is how many men who are really bi are signaling it in different ways mm-hmm. or asking about it pretty early, but they don't actually write on their profile that they're bi. Mm. And usually the option on a on the lifestyle dating sites, the option is basically 
straighter. It's like straighter by. It's not pan. It doesn't have a bunch of other options. So we can even see how the architecture of the apps are they more progressively providing other identities for sexuality and gender? And they gen they tend not to be. So in the swing community, that becomes a less safe space, I think, for men that are bi, um, because it's no swords crossing is the concept I've heard quite often. Um, and there's a lot of that toxic masculinity or, you know, fear of being gay oh my god right mm -hmm. like that is experience which i don't see as much for people who identify as poly interesting it's almost as though polyamory and queerness yep. have a a really explicit relationship with each other and what's interesting too and you probably have all experienced this to some extent um except our resident monogamous jessica um but there is a lot of people who are poly or poly and bi will just identify as queer, right? Which is part of how, that's how I identify mm -hmm. um, because it, it encapsulates, right? My sexuality is, you know, out there. My, um, my sexual relationship style and my sexuality are both kind of in this multi space. Um, but there's a lot of people in the LGBT community who are not okay with poly people putting themselves under the LGBT umbrella. Um, and there's lots of gay and lesbian people who think that there's, we've, you've talked about bi invisibility, I think on your, mm -hmm. on your podcast before, right? Like pick a side or, you know, you haven't decided, you're just in the closet. You haven't made a decision or, um, and then there's also people who are like, you get to hide out with hetero privilege when you're with an mm -hmm. opposite sex partner. So politically you're not, out front all the time and you know all the work that has been done in the queer community for rights you you're you as a bi person get to kind of hide out and get you get to pass you don't have the same cred yeah. or experience right if we were going back to advice on dating mm -hmm. apps based on the kind of areas that we've explored how much information do you think is the right amount of information to put out there about your identities, your sexuality, your orientation, the way you are practicing polyamory. I will make an ad admission that like probably is not, I'm not that proud of, but sometimes when I see dating apps and it's just like paragraphs mm -hmm. of those kinds of descriptors, yeah. I just bounce off of them. Yeah. It's like, I feel like I almost, I just like don't even know what to do with it. Yeah. Because you feel like you're going to be like told that you're doing it wrong or something. I, I think yeah. it does make me feel that way a little mm -hmm. bit. And that's what I'm maybe not proud of, but I thought I'd see what you had to say about that. Well, I think one thing to think about is which platform are you on, right? Mm -hmm. Because some platforms give you a lot of labels and tags that you can pick from, and that just kind of solves that, right? Like, do you pick... Actually, it's funny because OkCupid allows you to pick, like, five things at a time. So do you pick all five? Do you say, like, I pick bisexual and pansexual because... I'm, I'm over 50, so a lot of people I might be dating, especially if they're 10 years older than me, might not understand the terminology yet of pansexual. But even though I have a problem with bi and how it creates the binary, I recognize that my audience, this goes to the earlier, mm -hmm. recognizing your audience, I need to be able to kind of encapsulate. Um, I think having loads and lists, loads of lists is not necessarily super productive. Um, but I think it's this is the whole change your profile kind of regularly. I mean, one of the ways you can also mess with the algorithms of the apps to kind of continue to bring you up is 
to make changes to your profile, Ooh, change a couple of photos, change a couple of lines in your um, in what you've written. Um, one of the ways is you can be just kind of figure out what your what your descriptor is. So for me, I, I do talk about I do say I have a long term partner and I'm open, you know, some comments here and there. Like I try to find a, a sentence, right? Like who's in my life mm-hmm. and to let you know I have I do have a person I, I even went back and forth. Do I write non-nesting? You know, like, again, I'm starting to get, use the internal language. We're going to um, have a lingo demystification section oh, of this episode for sure. Right, right. <laughs> um, but, like, do you want to write all the stuff? Like, I think getting clear to say, all right, like, I'm... I don't, I haven't written, I like kitchen, that I'm kitchen table, but I realize maybe I should, or maybe Mm. not. I think I'm always going back and forth. My answer to your question clearly is not very helpful because (laughs) what I'm saying is it is as the language is changing and as more and more people are kind of coming into the polyverse and the non-monogamy verse, I think I try to figure out how to not use too much lingo but to use enough lingo. Yeah, I think right. paired with your advice before about framing things positively rather, mm-hmm. rather than negatively, mm, it is really yes. helpful. Because yeah. like, I think what I was referencing before is when people are like, Here, here's who I am and how that, that informs what I don't want, right. then that really sounds a certain way. But if here's, you're like, here's who's in my life, here's what I'm doing, and here's like what I'm open to, right. what I'm looking for, then right. I think that does sound welcoming usually and, and is not usually a thing that I bounce off of. Yeah. Um, you can definitely, people do signal hurt and pain yeah. through their profiles sometimes. Well, and sure. like when people will be very specific about like not looking for fill in the blank. Right. And I think the therapist in me is like, Ooh, oh, yeah, that's probably yeah. what You're happened like, Are you looking most for recently. A therapist? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I think the one thing I also did discover in my research too, is within every polycule and swinger relationship, most people don't have the exact same style as their partner's they're always a little bit of a difference. Like, so for example, this one couple who at first thought they were swingers, it became very clear. He's poly and she's a swinger. Mm -hmm. He's been poly since he was a teenager. He's always had a couple relationships. He's always the one who keeps in touch with their swinger partners, like to check in to see how, like he maintains friendship with those people in a way that's very poly. And through that interview, they both went, Oh wow. We didn't realize that mm-hmm. even they were different, even though they thought they were always, they'd been together for years, they'd been swinging together, but it helped them kind of think about yeah. that differently. It seems like a service that you could offer as well, like just helping people with the taxonomy. Yeah, what's your taxonomy? Yeah, but even like what people want, they tend to be like, so I think if you recognize that, it's much more helpful when you put out into the world, um, you know, here's here's my general style or here's what here's what it looks like in my world right now and here's what I have room for maybe Ooh, although I like that and this is why changing your profile regularly changes I realized a month ago like damn it I'm polysaturated already because mm-hmm. I started dating like crazy because I did the whole like oh I'm out there again and then I got a lot of messages and then I was yeah. managing too many people and I went damn it well, so yeah and I think that speaks to like the I, it's probably too uh, broadly generalizing to say that this is like the the male and female experience on apps, but there's mm-hmm. definitely like moments or like experiences. The one is like trying to filter and like having your profile be trying to like filter out too much yeah. to like get what you want. And then there's the experience of trying to 
just like get a response, mm-hmm. right? And like, so the one conundrum is like, I'm barraged with like way too much and how yeah. do I find like, you know, and that I, I'm sure from what I've heard, <laughs> that can be an overwhelming and sometimes like alienating experience. Yeah. Like I'm not interested in any of these people. And then the other experience is like, I feel like sort of tacitly rejected by just not really getting a yeah. lot of connection at all. Yeah. Um, and this is definitely a difference that we see around gender and yeah. sexual orientation for sure. And gender identity, like women tend to get a lot more traffic um, part of that is men more often, the, the tradition of men being the one to reach out, they still do unless they're on Bumble, right? Um, where women have to do, make the first move. But because men traditionally write first, women are dealing with fielding. I like to think of it as women are on defense and men are playing offense, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of an, you know, in a hetero kind of situation. And they also do it differently, right? So men will say like, I don't get it. I don't get all the, I don't get so many, you know, likes or I'm not getting matches. What's the problem. And I think there's another thing, which is around user practices are different. So more often men do the power swiping where they're just like, okay, I'm just going to say hi to yes to everybody and then see who likes me. And then I'll go back and read their profile. Women often do the opposite or women identifying people where they are looking at pictures, they may decide by picture, but then they'll read profiles, but they're not going to match as often without reading first. And I think, and this is also the same for people who are gender nonconforming and especially for trans people. And I think it's a safety issue from everything I've heard that, and as a woman, I would say the same, like I'm trying to keep myself safe. And definitely I hear this from uh, trans folks that they're reading very carefully in a profile before they match with someone because they we don't want to be overpowered by a person who's either trying to hurt us or is bigger than us and all that kind of thing. So the practices are different, which explains why this mismatch happens a lot. And I think even just like emotional safety, that Mm -hmm. you can have the experience of people being cruel to you online. Most women, trans people and queer people really have had that experience outside of dating apps. I was a woman writer online for many years. So like, I'm pretty well-versed in that experience, too. So I don't... Just the idea of going in and having some random exchanges with dudes online, literally nothing about that is appealing to me. And I make the joke sometimes that I think comes from your dad from Fisherman Up in Alaska about oh, yeah. you may get a lot of matches if you're a woman, but, and, you know, what do they say? The odds are good, but good, the goods, but are, the goods odd. are odd, yeah. right? You know, it's like, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of numbers, and it doesn't mm-hmm. really... Uh, translate into anything that feels like positive or exciting. Yeah. And I think that can be like a, um, like a sort of snowball effect or like a, a, a vicious cycle because mm-hmm. then on the, the other side of that, I think men are getting, and probably our, our next guest actually next time we'll be able to speak to this more are getting, you know, it's not, it's not a, a heartening experience to like, feel sort of pre-rejected a lot or just like being out there, like mm-hmm. being as vulnerable as men are used to being, which is maybe not that vulnerable. And then like, you know, just not getting a lot of responses. Um, and then when you do, sometimes the people sort of like disappearing and then sometimes you like move sort of further back into your shell and just being like, well, I'm not going to say, you know, I said a nice thing to a bunch of women when I first got on the app and then it didn't work out. So now I'm just like trying to just like, you know, you can see how that just recedes into more sort of cynicism and more kind of and eventually you arrive at some sort of place that is um, 
can be misogynistic. Yeah, it can be misogynistic. And I think that's like what a lot of the people who sort of study this have, where they've sort of ended up. Well, there's been also, I mean, there's quite a bit of research too on this about how much um, harassment and, you know, sexual harassment and just um, abusive verbal behavior that women experience on dating apps. Um, There was a recent Pew research study. They, every year they haven't, you know, they are looking at some of this stuff and, it was interesting, the women under 50, the percentage was over like 60 or 70% um, have experienced this. Um, I'm 52, I've definitely experienced it. And it's funny, I think to myself sometimes, I want to respond, somebody's written me a nice intro and I wanna say, hey, that's really cool, I don't think we're gonna match, but thanks for reaching out or I really like this about yours. And I'm in the back of my head, I'm thinking, if I even respond at all, do do I now have to deal with this game where the person's trying to like, still trying to sell me and convince me. And then I'm now putting all this emotional labor and time where I really was just trying to not make them feel like crap when they reached out and let them know it's, yeah. we're not a, or to be told, oh, you're, you're a bitch, which is what a lot mm-hmm. of women have experienced when they write back, even just with a kind word. And yeah. Literally last week, a global information study that I will look up and put in the show notes came out and determined that women are the most harassed demographic of people online and that the majority of women have experienced some sort of hate speech online. Yeah, it's just sure. like a really unpleasant place to be. Right. Which I think leads me into like a, a big line of questioning that I had here. As a therapist and a therapist who works with young people, queer communities, and uh, polyamorous, non-monogamous communities, I end up talking to people about the dating apps a fair amount. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the context is therapy, so they're not coming in and being like, had a great experience on the dating apps. But I would <laughs> say that a lot of, I mean, it just causes so much anxiety, yeah. despondency, uh, compulsion. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, like, negative mental health intersections with mm-hmm. the dating apps. And, of course, like, we know social media has mm-hmm. that impact, and mm-hmm. that's been, like, pretty well researched mm-hmm. and documented at this point. But I wanted to ask you about that, like, what do you encounter in your work what advice do you have for people? You know, if I'm just being um, disclosing something personal about myself, I never want to go on the dating apps. Like, mm-hmm. I have to, you know, I'll tell Alex, I'm like, I'm going to get my blood up to go on the dating apps for 20 minutes. And I'm just like, Ugh, it's only been 15. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. You know, it makes me so depressed and anxious. <laughs> yeah. Like, it is not a fun place mm-hmm. for me. Even so. when you have a hype man over here, like, yes. <laughs> Which I really do. It's great. Well, I think you're talking about two things that are, super important to this, which is we know there's the whole, the whole dopamine hit in the brain, um, the feel good of being liked. Um, we, we know the gamification of swiping apps. Um, there's enough studies that have shown, which are just like other social media, um, types of sources and that we get hooked, right. That we get addicted. Um, and so I, first thing I'd say is timing, right? Like limit yourself, recognize like I'm put it in your calendar like all right I'm gonna look at my thing you know for 30 minutes or whatever give yourself kind of limits if you can um I think the other thing and this really relates to the poly dating especially is what becomes really difficult is say you do go on for an hour and you decided to buy the premium I'm gonna throw this out because this is one of the other things about Um, decisions about how to use apps. If you're poly, for example, some apps 
you can use the filtering options around deal breakers like okay cupid if you have premium you can say i only want to see people right who are non-monogamous but if you have the free version then you're going to see other people right you don't get to limit things as much which means um you really are going through your own filtering and you're spending a lot more time swiping. If you're paying premium, you may be looking at who likes you because you can see who likes you. But if you're online dating forever because you're poly, that's pretty expensive. And a lot Uh of people may not be able to afford that. It's not accessible. So there's all these kinds of things to be thinking about. Um, If you are like you're on the app, say Monday, and you've swiped and there's like even two people who you thought were interesting and you sent an you know, a hello to or liked and they liked you back, you may now be starting to juggle just two people that week. And maybe you really only have one day a week that you're free to go date. So now you're doing the whole thing where you're messaging Uh and you're trying to like, well, I have time in two months, right? You know, so one of the things about being poly, I think that becomes another issue is you're already dealing with the crazy calendar, right? Of if you have other people in your world. And once you are managing multiple people, then you're also managing multiple dates. So if I was to think about the mistakes that I've made, because that's your podcast, Uh (laughs) I was thinking about that today. Probably my biggest mistake when I went back out there was I did not slow myself down on, okay, I've, I've, I've matched with two people. I should just back away from the phone and see where those go because then I was also juggling too many dates and my own advice that I did not take that I give to lots of people which is utilize video chat people learned how to use zoom and video chat during the pandemic if you live out in the sticks or Tacoma like I do um, and half of the poly world is in Seattle for example um, driving becomes a time suck mm-hmm. and trying to find the day that works when you can go when traffic's not crazy, whatever, you know. So I think I would have been better had I followed my own advice and said, let's do our first date as a video date. So I'm not feeling overwhelmed by the fact that I now have a bunch of dates. And by the way, don't have the money uh, to go out expensive. on a bunch of dates mm-hmm. where there's yeah, coffee or drinks cocktail or, or whatever, dinner. Yeah. 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 And I don't assume mm-hmm. the guy is going to pay and I don't really want somebody. I don't know to like all of a sudden be saying, Oh, well I paid you owe me something. So, um, Ricky, have you noticed the increase in popularity of speed dating? Mm-hmm. I have been thinking about, especially yeah. like in queer poly mm-hmm. uh, communities, it seems like I've seen more of those events cropping up. Do you think that that's in part in response to some of this angst or exhaustion that people experience in online and, dating? And coming out of the pandemic, too. I think it's like, how do we get back into real life? But I do think there is uh, there are movements, meetup groups, right? More in-person stuff. Um what I would also say that's interesting, and I think when we were talking about my crazy long book title that includes post-digital, post-digital is really about meaning that technology is so integrated that we're kind of always, we're wired and in person at the same time so that I may be at a speed dating event, but before I leave, maybe I've you know shared some stuff on my phone, maybe I've, you know... People are cruising in bars and looking at their app to see who's geolocated within a mile, right? Um, Those are kind of, I think, part of how those work together. Mm. 
But I do see um, there has been a rise in speed dating. Um, and I went to a speed dating event in, uh, recently in the area. Uh, and it was a queer speed dating event. And I realized the first thing I had to tell everybody was, okay, here's some possible deal breakers for you. I live in Tacoma, uh, right? I had to put out the geography because people... You should have just worn a shirt that was I like know. Tacoma Pride. I live in Tacoma, so if that's a deal breaker. Um, but also to tell people I'm bi because there, it was queer. So there's also lesbian women who don't want to be with women who are bi. And also I have a male partner in my life and a lot of lesbian women who might not be okay with that mm-hmm. either. Um, or the fact that I have another partner in my life. So I think it was funny to be in an event that was that was, it wasn't, dedicated to poly it was dedicated to queerness but i recognize there are things that are deal breakers for people that i i it's almost like i would have put it on my profile right, right? apps like, would have facilitated that filtering and yes. you had to do it yeah in person but then there's a bunch of other filtering that the apps wouldn't facilitate like right. just like vibes that show yeah. up in person and the way that you carry yourself yeah. and like the, those first few minutes of conversation that uh-huh. you know are going to take all of this work to do on the apps through the swiping and text chats and stuff like that, the stuff that you wouldn't get to Mm -hmm. until you did that video chat or whatever. Well, and I think one of the things about, I mean, this is related and unrelated, but like, okay, Cupid has now added the label of right. Non-monogamous, monogamous, and open to Mm non-monogamy. And if you have the free service, for example, you're going to get both of those. You can't filter it out. But I've also been hearing a lot of people talking about, when people say they're open to non-monogamy, a lot of people who are have been poly for a while, that to them is a signal of like, you're not really poly. Yeah, I don't fuck with poly. Yeah, <laughs> Alex has a strong opinion about this, actually. Tell us your opinion. Oh, just that I don't really mess with that. Do you have it, a rule? Like, I've heard people say like, you have to be poly for a year. I don't want to be your training not, wheels. These are kind of things I've I heard would in not say I'm great with rules like that. Yeah, I've yeah. definitely dated a lot of people where I kind of liked the, not a lot of people, but where I kind of liked the idea that I was telling them about it. Yeah. Um, you got like to be the educational. Um, <laughs> and, but yeah, I, I think for some reason that one in particular is like a signal, is like not really a thing that I, I love. So I would rather the person be like just, doesn't say anything about it, like on other apps. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Why, why is that? Why would? Why is that it's label completely illogical? Yeah. <laughs> you like had, I feel like it's you like, maybe had a bad experience. With I don't stuff. know. I think it's just the sort of waffling that, that where they're just like, I'm like whatever. So here's what I've thought about this yeah. recently, um, and I have a chapter on the whole non-monogamy and labeling. So open to non-monogamy is the label that OkCupid created. It is not the label that the person has created. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about the fact that as a reader of somebody's profile, I just see it as their descriptor, not the, not the platform's descriptor. So what I have found myself doing now is, because somebody did reach out to me and I saw they had that. And so I went back through their profile and I, I did the sleuthing that I think many poly people do, which is, are they really open to poly? And I think about, I had somebody in my research who had said way back when, um, that what they looked for were things like language that was all about an exclusive relationship. Mm. Did they talk about, I'm looking for a partner? Am I looking for a soulmate? Am I looking for my person singularity? Yeah, Yeah. So they looked for people who said things like, partners or people and they looked for plurality in the profile as a real indicator and they did the same in theirs and so I actually responded to somebody and said 
you know, just to be clear, you said you're open, but in looking at your profile, everything here suggests you're really monogamous, which to me says, if we got involved and you met somebody, you're going to dump me and move on. And that's not how I operate. So I don't see a future. Or here. they're trying to pull somebody into not to monogamy, but they're kind of like open the, the to cowboy that. cowgirl yeah, thing. Exactly. For yeah. our terminology. <laughs> yeah. And I think the people that I was referring to was like more people who I met on Hinge outside of there being a lot of that context. And it was very clear on my Hinge profile that I was poly and then they liked me on Hinge. And then it was revealed that like they were coming out of a monogamous relationship uh-huh. and were open to it in a way that they were like actually curious. Yeah. And that's what it attracted them to me. Yeah. And then we more ended up being like, like friends and like they asked me a bunch of questions about it. Yeah. And like, it's not like we had big relationships, right. but I kind of like helped them like learn about what was going on with it and then whatever. Well, and I think based on profiles, right, which platforms like yeah. Hinge is another mainstream platform that has added the option for non-monogamy. So now yeah. at this point, OkCupid had it first for mainstream apps, right? Uh, Tinder has the option on the label and Hinge has the lab- has it on the label as well. But in my experience on Hinge, it's not actually, you can't filter for it at all. It's, it, I decided it's too, yeah. I'm, I'm spending way too much time just going through people who, and it's, they don't even have to put if they're monogamous or non-monogamous. So to me, it's not useful as a poly person to use it. Um, Tinder is different in that, it's already so sex forward that people tend to give enough information. Uh, but again, I find that a frustrating experience. So I pretty much have found like field and okay Cupid to be the most poly friendly, at least in this part of the world or mm-hmm. country because apps are also regional. So there's that. Yeah. That was going to be kind of a closing question that I was going to ask you is what do you think yeah. are the best? And it, and I think the okay Cupid one is strange. That's been my experience too, that, I think I've met the most people that I actually had relationships with on OkCupid. And I think if you ask the gen pop, like monogamous people, what are the best dating apps? OkCupid is like, yeah, it's low distant. Like it's kind of considered to be this weird old app that nobody really uses anymore, but it really works. Mm -hmm. Well, and I did a talk with the Evergreen Hearts lecture series last month, which for people in the Seattle area, I highly recommend you check them out. They're evergreenhearts.org. They pretty new in the last year. They're creating lots of resources and lecture series and trying to help people connect. And one of the, I did a poll in you know, just the audience, like what apps are you using? And it was a poly online dating talk. And pretty much it was Field and OkCupid were mm-hmm. what people raised their hands as their primary um, apps, at least to use here. And I think part of it is because the way the affordances of the app, the, the way the, the labeling and the filtering work, it's the most friendly to help you really find that. And you're going to find people going there because they know it's the most, it's it's basically the poly bar. Like if we talk about dating apps or platforms as bars, like that's the queer bar, that's the gay bar, that's the poly bar. Like to me right now, OkCupid and Field are kind of the poly bar, although <laughs> Field is the poly, Field is the non-monogamy mm-hmm. bar in general because it's also much I'd say there's a lot of people who are also swingers mm-hmm. that are also on there and people will they can create couple profiles with the linked option um okay Cupid used to let people link and they just stopped doing that this year oh really mm-hmm. uh, it seems like field is also kind of the kink bar and also the kink bar yeah and also sure. the polycurious I'm gonna make a profile and then delete it <laughs> yeah it's kind of it's a little bit of everything right um and i like it because of that i like it because yeah, it seems kind of chaotic <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that's my favorite one and when i've just like 
ended my subscriptions on all the other ones. Yeah. I tend to keep that one because I'm just like, I'll eat popcorn yeah. and watch yeah. that one. <laughs> well, I've actually met, I've met very cool people on both. Same, yeah. And I'm, I still have people in my world that I met through both. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, there's quality people out there, but I think part of it is there's also, it is, it is a little chaotic. It's, it is um, definitely the most, I'd say, sex positive in that way and that it's kind of around relationships and different sexual it's it seems like sex assertive yeah sometimes. sex sometimes but not for everybody right depends mm-hmm. on what you're looking for um there is hashtag open but i'm finding that not many people have been using it um a number of years ago before the pandemic uh at um what is it the, the hump festival right dan savage's mm-hmm dirty little porn festival that's Mm -hmm. what he calls it Mm -hmm. which for people who are listening who are not in seattle that was a pacific northwest thing although it's now all over the country they started advertising hashtag.open as a new app before the pandemic and i think a lot of people got on it but then there wasn't enough tipping point Mm. but it allowed people to do um, joint profiles separate profiles and it was very much about kind of everything it was polys it was everything but i mean uh Hashtag open is still out there. And if you go to their website, it's the people who are promoting it. Like, you know, Tristan Terramino is one of the like, this is the greatest place. But I've not found that people are using it much these days. And I'm not exactly sure why. But my my suspicion is based on it just didn't get enough tipping point of people. Mm -hmm. And for people who are outside of cities, big cities, geography is a big thing for dating apps. I mean, dating apps help you find people, but they also mean you have to travel. And for people in cities, they can find people more easily. Um, You know, apps allow you to, some apps allow you to change your location so you can find people in cities you go to. Um, One of the things we have seen about dating apps in general is that people have started dating outside of their social world and much further and also diversifying who they date. And I think it's partly because of this. And I think that is also what we're seeing with Polly, is that people are like, oh, I can explore this. But at the same time, it's a whole new ball game for a lot of people. And trying to figure that out as a person who's experienced in Polly, do you want to be the person to educate people? Um, do you know what's going to happen? Like, Yeah. It's funny, as I was listening to you talk about how geography and dating and how people used to meet each other and how Mm -hmm. we do now, I was thinking about how Alex and I watched When Harry Met Sally last night. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And if you remember, in that movie, interspersed throughout, there are these elderly couples talking about how they met each other. Right. And it's all like, we were high school sweethearts. We grew up in the same tenement. Mm -hmm. Our parents arranged our marriage. Like, it Mm -hmm. just really struck me. Uh you know, how different Mm -hmm. dating is now Mm -hmm. than it was then. And it was maybe a little bit of a reality check for me because I hate the app so much and I have like sort of a complex emotional relationship with online spaces. Mm -hmm. I tend to romanticize the idea of meeting in person Mm -hmm. and the kinds of connections that you might find. And I I remember as we were watching it, I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's there's something to complain about with dating culture, right. whatever is well, happening. Well, and it's supposed to be 1980s commentary on 1950s, 40s and 50s, 40s and yeah. 50s mm-hmm. couples. And then, of course, like, here we are, whatever, 50 years later than when that movie was made. In 30 years insane. from now, someone will be romanticizing this experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, and if you think about the elderly people who were in Harry Met Sally, they were also, they have met their partner at a time where 
marriage wasn't about romantic love so much yet. That's mm-hmm. romantic love is a very recent phenomena, like industrial age, post-industrial age. Um, then you add right the feminist movement and women going into the workplace. Um, and women actually having enough money to support themselves and not relying on a male partner. And now we have kind of a, a whole other world where it's hard to not have a double income, right, right, to get by. And so I think so much stuff has changed socially uh, that has also affected these changes. Yeah. Huh. And that's, I think, what that movie is about now that I think about it. It is. Like, they're peers uh-huh. and it's like about them being peers and like can they be peers and romantically oh, right. involved, involved and like in love with each other and, and it that's feels like, like this very like post movie. second wave feminist yeah. commentary mm-hmm. on what okay. is the relationship between straight well, men cis men we should do a bonus men. episode where oh we just analyze God, right? that movie and it's you, really good i was surprised at how great that movie we stayed is. up until like one in the yeah. morning watching it by accident <laughs> i feel like i need to watch it again because yeah. i hadn't thought about it through that lens but then add the fourth wave feminist right the whole like technology and how technology is integrated into our life and how we deal with women being harassed i mean we have a whole other layer mm-hmm. when we think about how dating apps have become part of um intimacy mm-hmm. these days yeah. what would nora efron do with poly queer right. dating right. romantic comedy right there's a um, episode, it's an anthology series that was on Netflix years ago called Easy. I don't know if you saw it. I've heard that recommended to me before. Yeah, and there's one storyline of a couple that decides to open up and because he's, ex- he's all excited, but then she starts getting all the action, which is what often happens yeah, in yeah. couples, right? Women end up getting more, more attention when they get out there and, you know, and then it was very interesting because it also became, um, he actually fell for somebody he, he gets emotions for somebody and they really have to think about like how does this work for us and if i think about it i think this was in like 2017 so it's one of the earlier storylines that is bringing in polly i think there was also in the l word there was a storyline where phoebe is approached by a poly couple and they want her to join their triad right someone mentioned to me that in the reboot of sex in the city there's a character that they feel like is expected to kind of carry all the millennial yeah. and Gen Z identities. So they're poly, non-binary, mm-hmm. like, you know, just an online personality. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So I think it is showing up there, yeah. even if it's kind of like flat sometimes in its exploration. I think as people who are experienced poly, I think one of the best things they can do for themselves on dating apps and for others is just be really clear concise, clear, um, around your language, what, what your, what, what your style is, what you're looking for, what you have space for. And if you say things like, I have a nesting partner, you could write in parentheses, somebody I live with. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now you don't have to add that to your primer. Um, you know, or if you write KTP, write in parentheses, kitchen table, poly, I want my people to be a family that know each other, you know, or whatever. Like, that's another way I think we can educate people that are coming into polyamory because at the same time, I would hate to be the person to say, well, I don't want, no, if nobody wants to deal with newbies, then we don't, I mean, poly is a very small dating pool as it is. Do you want more people out there or not, right? That's kind of one of the questions I would ask myself and I've been asking myself. And I was that, we've all at one point been that new person. And so how do we compassionately make space for people who are new to it, but also learn to read if, if they're not there yet and 
can they deal with where we're at? And how much emotional labor do are we willing to give and do we have in terms of bandwidth to help bring people on board? If, if somebody looks like they are somebody that you would really want to hang out with, yeah. you know, um, that's basically why we started this podcast. Right. Right. <laughs> so I know we're coming up on the end of our time for recording, but I wanted to give Jess a chance to weigh in with any reflections on monogamy versus non-monogamy in the online dating space, or just if you want term clarification, I mean, I have kind of, I like wrote down a lot of terms and I don't Mm -hmm. know if we want to do like maybe a little lightning round Mm -hmm. of like, I could just say like a a term and then you guys give a quick definition. I think we can let Ricky do that. Yeah. I love this idea. Okay. (laughs) I always worry that I'm going to say things that, and not define them and later listen and go, wow, that was really excluding. (laughs) Well, okay. So I think there's three like sort of that I think are defined against each other, but I'm not quite clear like what the difference Mm -hmm. is. So E&M, poly, swinging. Mm -hmm. Okay. E&M. E&M, ethical non-monogamy, which often gets conflated or used synonymously with C&M, consensual non-monogamy. And from what I found, nobody really agrees, except to say that everything's in the open, non-monogamous and in the open, not in the closet, Everybody involved knows, um, and it can include, it's, to me, it's the umbrella term that everything fits under. So okay. swinging and poly would be styles underneath ethical, consensual, non-monogamy. And polyamory would fit more in multiple loves and a space for emotional relationships. And that emotion is primary where for swinging, sexual, sexual, uh, let me put it this way, poly would be... Uh, not exclusive, unless you've got a hierarchical couple. I'm going to start getting messy here. But <laughs> poly is about multiple emotional loves, whereas swinging is about multiple sexual partners. Okay. Thank- yes. Got but it. But swinging tends sense. to be defined more around uh, one couple that has an emotional bond, whether they're married or not, often they thought of as married, that also engage in extra curricular sexual activity together or with others. Okay. But it's more about the sex is the fun stuff. Nobody falls in love outside where poly, there's always room for emotional love and relationships to form. And it's kind of expected that that's what the goal is. And that sex may be a nice plus, but it's not sex. It's not sex first. It's more emotion first, I think is how those two get put up against each other. Okay. So how about... KTP or kitchen table poly. Mm-hmm. Kitchen table poly would be uh, you like to be able to sit around the kitchen table with your partner and your partner's partners, also known as metamors, and have a cup of coffee or have have a meal. But many people would like to talk about being kitchen table and more of a the polycule becomes a family. Everybody is invested in everybody's well being. Um, the opposite of kitchen table would be like parallel poly where or where people are dating other people but they may not necessarily be crossover um, partners that don't really want to meet their partner's partners um, don't ask don't tell also can fall under non-kitchen table um, but a lot of people always wonder if that is really about cheating okay and then 
polycule. Polycule is your network of poly people. So like uh, I have a long-term partner and my partner has another girlfriend. So I would say the three of us may be in a polycule, but then if I'm dating somebody else, all of those people are connected in a network where we've all probably talked about sexual transmitted infection. We've talked about STIs and testing to make sure everybody's safe and that they're on the same page around safer sex practices, et cetera. We may all hang out. Maybe they'll all meet each other. Maybe they won't, depending on how kitchen table. Right, right. Okay. okay. So conceivably, the entire Seattle metropolitan area could be one gigantic, gigantic polycule. Or the whole universe. On a long yes. enough timeline. <laughs> and I did, write an art- I did write an article in The Conversation, which is like really short, called what is a polycule, which mm. is, I would Ooh, recommend. We'll link to that. And part of that uh, also talks about kind of different perceptions around hierarchy and non-hierarchy. Let's see. Okay. And then there were three terms that came up, I think, when we were talking about uh, sex parties, which that always comes oh, back to sex yeah, parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> 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 <No>. <laughs> Often we're called key parties and house parties yeah. back in the day. They're still right. called house parties, yeah. but... Um. <laughs> well, so I think that FetLife Munches, oh, is munches. the word, and yeah. sex clubs, I think, all came up in okay. the same. And I was like, what? Okay, what sex things? parties or <laughs> house parties is probably another term that gets used pretty regularly. In the 70s, they were called key parties because people drop their keys in the basket kind of thing. Um, but sex parties um, could be at a club or at a hotel. Often, if they're at hotels or clubs, it's because it's part of a sex club, and many big cities have one or two. Seattle has one. Uh, there's two and three in Portland that I can think of. Actually, there's two in Seattle. I take that back. Um, so lots of big cities will have these clubs, and people have to have a membership, and there's certain nights it's open, and there's playrooms, and it's kind of like there's a bar, and a, usually a bar and a dance floor where people meet, like a regular bar, but then there's also playrooms where people can go in the back and play together. Some are big open rooms where lots of people play, small rooms with curtains where you can have privacy if you're a newbie and you're kind of freaked out. Um, So that's sex clubs. Sex parties are usually at somebody, or house parties are at someone's house, like maybe a network of people invite all their other people. Um, And then what was the other one? Munches. Munches. Oh. And FetLife. And FetLife. FetLife is the social network for kinksters. That's what they call themselves. Um, many people in my study talked about using FetLife for online dating, but they weren't sure if it counted because it's not really an online dating platform. It really is like Facebook for the kink community. Um, but you can direct message people, That you can be friends with people, and lots of people post events in the area. Munches are like uh, social gatherings, say like, there's a munch for the poly community or for the swinger community or the kink community. Somebody hosts it at the local bar and everybody goes, oh, there's a munch. It's a chance to meet people in the community, but it's not sexual. It's just social. It's like happy hour usually. Or I went to one. Yeah, I went to one at a tea store recently. That was fascinating. It was great. I met some cool people. Nice. So it's a good way to network and also Find out where other events are, right? So this is kind of part of the find your people, find your tribes, right? Awesome. Thank you so much. I think that was all my lightning round terms. Cool. (laughs) Wow. There's so many questions left, but that just means we have to have you on again. (laughs) Okay. There's more I'd love to talk about. Um, Before we say goodbye, Ricky, I know you had some shout outs and upcoming events that you wanted to get in. You've mentioned the dating workshops that are on offer in the coming year. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Where can people find out more? Yeah. Um, so my website is rickythompson.com, R-I-K-I, 
T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N.com. Um, I am going to start hosting workshops, maximum 20 people, um, looking to do them in Tacoma and Seattle primarily, um, thinking depending on how much interest there are or there is, I'll see how often I do them. I'd like to do one that's specifically poly-focused or non-monogamy-focused since I realize there are so many people who are needing help around this. And I definitely am appreciative that Evergreen Hearts has kind of come on and they've really created a great space. They have a, a listserv. I feel like I'm promoting them. But um, I, I think I am because they're a nonprofit and they're they're really trying to take hold of providing resources and networking people and they have a newsletter so I realize more people are on that the more that I can also share stuff that'll get shared Um, but also I'll post things about my workshops on my website Um, I also will be doing a talk probably in the spring series for Evergreen Hearts I need to send my proposal in on Friday I did a talk for them already and um, I'm looking to kind of do part two of poly online dating around more like messaging and messaging and meeting rather than just setting up your profile and kind of the the things that are happening there. Um, I do want to shout out to my university, University of Washington. Um, I got funding for my big project through them and um, I'm really grateful and also the people who shared their stories. I mean, I talked to over 100 people, many of whom are probably listeners to this podcast. So if you were in my study, thank you for sharing your experiences and your stories. Um, this project wouldn't have happened without everybody. Um, do I have any others? Well, if our listeners were interested in taking a workshop with you, how can they find out? And is there anything they should know? Oh, yes. Um, well, check out my website. I, it will be under like talks and workshops, and I'll start posting dates of when I'm going to run them. But if you use uh, mistakes as your discount code, you can get 20% off coming to your first workshop Sweet. with me. Cool. Yeah. What about us? Hmm. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you don't have to answer maybe, it. Okay, 20% maybe 50% <laughs> Maybe I'll give you a special special. Ricky, I think I learned a new term. Tell mm-hmm. me, have you heard of dexting? Tell me. Ooh. I haven't. I heard, I heard oh. this yesterday, and I was so thrilled that there was a term for it. It's when you get into a chat relationship with someone oh, that yeah. just goes on and on and on. And oh, you never end up because you're dating, yeah. texting. You're dating, texting, oh, texting. Yeah. So I just dexting. had to throw that out there. I love it. I, yeah. you know, what I do love about research in general is I always am learning new things. And I thank you for sharing another term. Um, <laughs> That's what we need, clearly. <laughs> yes. Um, I think you should be aware of that for yourself too, if you're out there. Uh, how long are you willing to dext? Uh And do you really not want to dext? And if you don't, when are you going to say, hey, let's have a video chat or a meetup? Also, the sex to dext pipeline is real. Sometimes you sex people, then you might never meet up with them. Somebody told me this the other day. Well, and a lot of women are slow to give people their real phone number to text and get off of the apps because they suspect they're going to get a dick pic. Mm -hmm. And they often do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... But then for me, because of the thing about the apps being so addictive and then it being implanted in my uh-huh. thing, I want to get off of them because yes. I have a false sense of how much I care about the person because yes. when I see the app notification badge, yeah. then I'm too excited. Yeah. And I want to regulate my understanding of how much I care about the person based on a regular text notification, not a little Tinder icon or whatever. Well, and the other thing is you may have, it depends on what you have set up for your notifications on your phone in general. Like 
maybe you don't have notifications coming up from your dating app, but you do on your text and you actually want to talk to this person. All of this stuff is like very messy. It's a twisted world. world. It is. And it's Mm -hmm. deep in our brain chemistry. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Obviously there's so much more to say here. Ricky, thank you for coming on the show. It was really wonderful to get a chance to sit down and talk with you. And I look forward to doing it again already. Thank you for having me. And I hope to come back again and answer the other questions we didn't even get to. There were so many things we could talk about. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, and please uh, subscribe and uh, follow us on Instagram. Follow Ricky on Instagram, too. Or Virtual Ricky. Link, Virtual Ricky. Uh, and check out the show notes for everything that we talked about and all the links to her stuff and the research. And, um, yeah, see you next time. See you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye.